Lucky Land Slots, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to Exchange Traded Fridays. It's a weekly roundup of markets and ETF news brought to you by ETF.com. My name is Sean Alakam, Editor-in-Chief here. With me are my esteemed colleagues, senior ETF analyst Samit Roy. Say hi, Samit. Hey, Sean. Hey, everyone. And our intrepid managing editor, Heather Bell. Good morning, Heather. I like intrepid. Welcome to both <laughs> you. Welcome to both of you. So it's been a pretty markets heavy week this week. Everyone's talking about recession. Are we in a recession? We're not in a recession. It's the second straight quarter of GDP decline. And Really, does it even matter what we call it? Because the economy is just a complete dumpster fire right now. And arguing about it, you know, what to call it might be missing the point a bit. So we heard a lot of that this week. On top of it, we had like a zillion companies reporting earnings and some really big players like, you know, the tech giants kind of stole the show, Apple, Microsoft, et cetera, um, who some of them missed missed their expectations by, by a fair margin. Although surprisingly, it wasn't all that bad for tech heavy ETFs like QQQ and some others, which we had some reporting earlier in the week on. And overall, earnings were a bit of a mixed bag. So again, not a lot of reassurance there for investors either. Top that with the Fed ratcheting up interest rates again, albeit this time, you know, not like in, in June, this time it was within most analyst expectations, which the market seemed to actually like and, and react pretty positively, positively to on Thursday. So there you go. It's there's a lot of mixed signals, a lot of messaging, a lot of indicators, a lot to unpack, frankly, and with all this recession talk and what that means for, for the industry. Because it seems like investors are ready, if they haven't already, are ready to take some of this risk off the table. So with that, I'll kick it over to my friend Samit. Good morning. Maybe you can give us a quick wrap of how you saw things unfolding, exactly what happened and what it might mean for the industry. Yeah, good summation, Sean. And like you said, the earnings season has been a mixed bag so far, but arguably it's been a little bit better than investors feared. If you go back to the last two earnings seasons, the reaction to earnings misses was really, really vicious. This time around, we're generally not seeing that. If you recall, Meta dropped 27% in February after it missed Q4 earnings. It wiped out something like $200 billion of market cap in one day. This time around, it missed again, a pretty big miss, but it was only down a much more modest 5%. Then we saw Netflix, lost subscribers for a second straight quarter, but unlike last time when it dropped 30% on the news, it actually rallied 5 or 6% because people expected it. Similarly, Google, Microsoft, they had results that came in slightly worse than expected, but the stocks went up. The reason investors are reacting better this time, I think, is because of expectations. After a 20% plus drop in the S&P 500, 30% plus in the NASDAQ, and you know, much, much more in many cases for individual stocks, a lot has been priced in. So you combine that with the results that reflect slowing but not collapsing earnings and revenues, and that's why the market has been able to rally so far this earnings season. 
if you look at the data from FactSet, something like 68% of companies in the S&P 500 have beaten analyst estimates. So they're still beating earnings, they're still growing earnings, something like four to 5% on average. So a lot of this, the rally we've seen in the stock market this week and last week has to do with the Fed as well. It's not just about earnings. And I'm sure we're gonna talk about the Fed, but before we get there, I just wanna say a couple more things about the earnings season. I did say, you know, things aren't as bad as expected, but one area where they are really bad is the digital ad market. The digital ad market has completely imploded. Everyone from Snap to Meta to Roku has reported massive misses on the top and bottom lines. So without question, marketers, advertisers, they're cutting back on ad spend aggressively because of economic uncertainty. And these companies are also getting a double whammy from some privacy changes that Apple made to the iPhone. Now, the question is, is the reduction in marketing spend a cannery in the cold mine for the rest of the economy? I think it's a little too early to tell. And a lot of that is going to depend on what happens with inflation and interest rates. Yeah, no, well said. Well said to me. I agree with you. I mean, I think there's just a lot. I, a lot of it did have to do with some of the expectations that we saw. And it was you know, really a, a great point that you brought up because the markets really, I mean, investors don't like this type of uncertainty. And some of these things that kind of get baked in when you expect some of these earning misses or at least think that that could be a, you know, a real possibility, the people that kind of want to get out and do you know beforehand and the people that wanted to stick around you know th those earnings don't really impact that you know what their what their plans are and some of the performance of these stocks so yeah i mean investors just hate the uncertainty um aspect of it and it's just kind of ironic right now because that's a lot of what we're seeing with some of these economic indicators with a very strong labor market i think just today um they saw um earnings um excuse me like pay um increase one point something percent which was um, almost a record at a record pace. So wages are increasing to kind of combat some of the inflation. So there's a lot of headwinds, tailwinds. I think the next few weeks, we're gonna really see which ones kind of dominated, what, what kind of direction the markets are gonna go further. But Heather, did you have any kind of thoughts or takeaways from some of these earnings this week? I don't think it surprised me that there were kind of like so many earnings misses. I don't know, I thought maybe there would be more of a reaction to it, but I guess it was probably already priced in. Yeah, I think that's right. Di kind of a little bit different from what happened um, la last earnings. Samit, maybe you can jump into some of what happened with the Fed. Again, this was completely expected. It was 75 bips, it, taking a kind of a stronger stance, you know, against battling some of this inflation. I think Powell also kind of hinted at slowing these interest rate hikes in the in the future, or I think he said that these can't go on forever or something, which gave some some positivity to the to the markets. Uh, what was your takeaways this week? You're right, Sean. That that's pretty much what he said. And in a way, he was the least eventful Fed rate hike from a policy perspective that we had in a while, even though it was again this massive 75 basis point hike. Finally the market anticipated what the Fed ended up doing at least a week in advance. And so they did that 75 basis point hike like everyone knew they would. But I think what was more eventful than the Fed action was the market's reaction. We got this big rally in the S&P 500 and then some nice follow through the day after and even today on Friday. 
the market clearly liked, uh, like you mentioned, Sean, that Powell said that they're going to slow the pace of rate hikes and even stop rate hikes at some point to see how the economy responds to those rate hikes. And I guess investors seem to interpret that as a slight dovish pivot by Powell, though it's debatable whether that's really what it was, because obviously the Fed was always going to slow and stop at rate, its rate hikes at some point. They're not going to lift them indefinitely. That's obvious. Mm-hmm. But are they going to do it anytime soon? Not according to their latest projections, which they gave us back in June. So there is a lot of tension now with the Fed still indicating it's going to hike to three and a half percent or higher in the Fed funds rate. But then we have the 10-year Treasury bond currently yielding around 2.7 percent, way below that. And we even have the two-year Treasury bond yield, which typically is very responsive to Fed policy. It's at 2.9%. So it's a very weird situation. The bond market is signaling a recession. It's very clear that the curve is very inverted right now. On the other hand, the stock market is rallying, presumably because it thinks either a recession is already priced in or it's going to be a very mild recession. And then the Fed thinks that the economy is humming along. Powell said there's absolutely no signs of a recession, and they think rates can go all the way up to 3.5% or more. So clearly, at least one of these parties is wrong, and it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. It's an interesting take. And, and just to stick with you before we go into what this actually means for the for the industry, what does the second straight quarter of GDP decline matter, Sumit, or, or what we're calling it? Or are, are we in a recession? I guess we should probably tackle that. We saw those headlines all week. Yeah, I mean, Sean, that's been a kind of a controversial um, topic lately. It's actually become somewhat political. And we did see two straight quarters of negative real GDP. And there were some concerning internals within that report, like the slowest pace of consumer spending since the pandemic and a huge drop in residential investment because of the slowdown in housing. I don't think investors generally put too much stock in GDP numbers, and the two quarters of declining GDP equals a recession metric. It's interesting, but it doesn't tell us anything about the future, right? That was January through June. Um, But if you're talking from a semantic perspective, yeah, there's a lot of debate whether that really equals a recession. It just depends how you want to define that word. Recession is just a word that means a decline in economic activity. You can use all sorts of metrics to say whether we really had that. If you're talking about things broader than just GDP, and you have to remember that GDP is extremely volatile because of shifts in inventories and exports, and it gets revised up and down a lot after the fact. In fact, it can get revised a year or two later. Um, But if you look at, you know, other metrics like unemployment, industrial production, those things weren't indicating that we had a recession during the first six months of the year. So I think in all likelihood, when the history books are written, we're not going to see that there was a recession in the first six months of 2022. But looking ahead, a recession is still very much a possibility. The bond market is telling that a lot of indicators are telling him that. So that's what's more important for investors anyway, what's going to happen in the future, not what happened in the first six months of 2022. Yeah, it's a great take, Sumit. And especially if you look at the yield curve, right? That's like we're definitely heading into a session. Absolutely. Um, it's so scary to think about. 
but you wouldn't tell you wouldn't know by looking at some of the ETF industry things. Um, we'll move over to Heather quickly, but I thought it was interesting um, to look at somehow the ETF inflows are looking for the first half of the year. And I know, Smith, you had written about it earlier. And just to go on over some of the data you compiled, I mean, it wasn't a terrible first half for inflows. I mean, you would think that we're heading into a recession, that investors would be a little bit more skittish and, you know, a little bit obviously taking some of the risk off the table. But it seems that there's still a decent amount of inflows, not quite um, comparable to the same time last year, which had, I think, a record year last year with almost 500 billion in inflows. But they, this, the first half of this year had a pretty respectable, I think it was somewhere on 320 something billion. Um, so, okay, well short of what happened um, in 2021, but still not as bad as you'd imagine, um, you know, with having the worst first half of a year since like 1980, whatever. So it looks like ETF inflows are somewhat healthy. Um, maybe we can kick it over to you, Heather, to kind of jump into what you saw. You obviously tracked the industry very closely, launches, closures, um, conversions, et cetera. Did you see anything this month or um, that was notable? I mean, obviously, there was a single stock, but I don't know. What how, what was your take this month? I think this week or this month was unusual. We've got a major slowdown in launches. Um, we had 22 or 23, I think, this month. And that's down from 49 in July 2021. We've been seeing a general kind of like slowing of launches. And this is the year, I mean, this is the month when we fell behind last year. And still there were some notable launches. Of course, there were the single stock ETFs that launched uh, leveraged and inverse. So we got eight of those in the market. And the thing about those is access investments launched the funds. The products cover Nike, Pfizer, PayPal, NVIDIA, and Tesla. And so that's kind of an interesting selection of stocks. And there's like 50 more of these types of products in registration. So we're probably going to see more of these rolling out in the near future. And what I think is going to be interesting to watch is to see which ones they roll out and in what order and what uh, stocks they are tied to and how they select what they roll out uh, in regards to that. Like, for example, uh, the Nike and the Pfizer, those are both double exposure 2x funds. Um, there's bear and bull versions of those currently trading. And then PayPal is offering one and a quarter X, so like 1.25 times their daily return on the bull and bear sides. And then the two um, other funds, there's NVIDIA, that's a inverse 1.25 times fund. And then the Tesla is a, you know, inverse fund, and that's a 1X fund. So it's interesting to see how they're kind of like presenting these to the public and how they're rolling them out. I'm assuming it's, you know, what has the most appeal at the time that they're coming out, but we'll see what comes out next. It'll be interesting, interesting Heather, hmm? to see whether um, they only stick with those high profile stocks or whether yes. they go with some of the more boring stocks. Because mm -hmm. I think I saw recently the Pfizer ETF barely attracted any trading interest. The Tesla ETF, obviously much more popular. Mm -hmm. But long term, I would assume actually 
uh, leverage ETF tied to a more boring, less volatile stock is going to perform much better than a leverage ETF tied to an extremely volatile stock like Tesla, simply mm-hmm. behind, behind daily rebalancing and things like that. I think I ran the numbers. If you had a, a leverage ETF on Johnson & Johnson, which is a very stable stock, doesn't move that much, the returns would have been actually phenomenal. Whereas <laughs> if you do it on something like Tesla, the returns are horrible, even though ironically Tesla is a much better performing stock than J&J, but that volatility just eats into returns so much. Yeah, that could be interesting. So you were looking at Johnson & Johnson from a buy and hold perspective? Exactly. Buy and hold uh, 2x leverage ETF on J&J. I ran the numbers hypothetically, and the returns are actually pretty solid over the last 10, 15, 20 years. Interesting. So they could possibly just target these products at different segments of the investor population. That That's a fascinating potential. On the other side of the um, inverse and leverage single stock ETFs, Innovator also rolled out a kind of like buffered exposure ETF. This one targets Tesla. So it uses the same kind of methodology as their defined outcome strategies um, that they have tied to other indexes. But this one just targets a single stock. I'm assuming the the Tesla fund, um, it trades under the ticker TSLH. I assume that's kind of like a trial balloon for more of these products to come out. Um, They don't seem to have any more in registration but if it you know gets a good reception i assume more will come will follow and beyond that the other funds that launched this month uh matthews asia which is a very active manager they're they're established in the mutual fund space they rolled out their first etfs they target uh emerging markets uh china and um, innovation in Asian markets, like our innovation stocks in Asian markets, they seem like they're definitely kind of like coming into the space. So that's another active manager joining kind of like the roster of ETF issuers. That's really, I think, the key events um, in the last month with regards to ETFs. We have more closures, but we're not near record levels. Um, we're at 70, which is about twice what la- uh, what closed last year by the, the end of August, because that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, you know, we've got 70 funds closing through the end of August this year. Last year, it was about 37. So that almost doubled. Awesome. Well, I guess we'll have to end our discussion there. It's been a crazy week. I don't know what's happening in the markets. I don't know what's happening in crypto anymore. I don't think I'm going to invest anymore. I'm done. I don't know what's happening. Might be blasphemous to say on this podcast, but um, it's been a hell of a week, a hell of a month, Heather. Thanks for wrapping up. Thanks for your insights to meet and your takes. It's been great. We'll have to leave it there, though. Thanks for listening. Thanks to you, Heather. Thanks to you, Samit. And thanks to everyone out there for listening. It's been Exchange Traded Fridays from ETF.com. Just go to your favorite podcast app, search for Exchange Traded Fridays, and you can find us there. For myself, Heather Sumit, ETF.com. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. 
Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.